In Luke chapter 6 is where, where we left off was uh, about verse 17 or so. And if you remember, we, uh, we, uh, were, we've seen the, the Jesus bring in the kingdom. It, it, uh, it has been breaking in. The, the kingdom of God has come and with Christ and uh, He is healing diseases and casting out demons and uh, all the effects of the fall, all the things that have gone wrong with the creation because of uh, sin and death is now in the creation and all those things. Jesus has come and He has shown that He has authority, mastery over those things. And He's pointing to a time when all of that is going to be done away with, when there's, we won't have to deal with that anymore. And we've seen Him have the authority to forgive sins. We've seen Him have authority over uh, unclean spirits. He would speak a word and they would be cast out. We've seen Him demonstrate that authority uh, in a lot of different ways. And we've come to this point now in Luke chapter 6 where He is about to give probably one of the most famous sermons that anyone has ever given at any time. It's uh, one that's recorded in Matthew a little differently there, uh, but it's still the same basic content. And here in Luke chapter 6, he's going to show us, uh, they call them the Beatitudes. And that word Beatitudo is, is Latin. It means happiness. And that's why they call it the Beatitudes. But it's those things where he says, blessed are the poor and blessed are you who weep and blessed are the ones who mourn. Uh, those things you probably have heard of. We're coming up to that, to that section of scripture where he's going to begin this sermon and for uh, you know if the Lord allows for the next few weeks we'll be looking at this sermon where he tells us uh, who these blessed people are and and also the um, ethical stipulations for being in the kingdom of God and so what we're going to see here is he's going to tell us all of these things that describe a quote-unquote blessed life when you hear the word blessed when we say uh, I was thinking about how I use it and there's nothing wrong with this, but more often than not, I use it when I say, you know, I sure have been blessed. Uh, what I mean by that is that God's been good to me. Some situations have gone my way. God has intervened in some things and turned things around. And uh, I'm usually talking about wonderful things, good things. And that is what it means to be blessed because God doesn't owe me or you anything. Uh, but when, I usually, when we use that word, you know, oh man, look, that guy is blessed. Or that guy is, that lady over there, she is blessed. Usually what we mean is they got it going on. It's white picket fence, no problems, everything's good, all the bills are paid, everybody's happy, everything's wonderful, you got comfort and joy and peace and, and life is just wonderful, a bed of roses. Well, when Christ uses these terms, He's going to tell us, blessed are they who, and then He's going to tell us what they look like, what they... It's a whole lot different than you and I would expect. It's a, whole, it's a whole lot different than what we think blessed should be. Now, what we're talking about the word blessed, what we're thinking of is just, you know, wonderfulness and everything's good and beautiful. Um, when we, you probably need to equate it with, I would say it would be like the favor of God. Now, that's almost gotten to be an ugly phrase nowadays because you got the TV preacher guys telling you that to have favor, the favor of God, you got to have you know, a million bucks coming down through the, through the mailbox or something like that or, or, or what it means to have favor with God. But the way that we're using it here, the way that Jesus is using it in this sermon to be blessed is to be in right relationship with God, to be approved by God, to be in favor with God. And with that comes the peace of knowing that we are at peace with God, the, the joy, the happiness of knowing that we are in <clears throat> excuse me, right relationship with God. No matter what goes on in this life, we know that we have favor with God. And of course, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret to get us toward the end. 
it's going to be through Jesus Christ and Him crucified that we have favor with God. Of course, you already knew that. But that blessed, uh, that blessed uh, status, that blessed state, that uh, state of having peace with God, it is, <clears throat> it's the favor of God, but the way that Jesus describes it, it doesn't really look like what we would think. So let me set the scene real quick. Uh, in verse 17 and 18, let me just read those two. It says, remember, Jesus has just chosen the 12. He's gone up into the mountain, chosen the 12 apostles, um, and he's about to come back down. Verse 17 says, and he came down with them, that's the apostles, the 12 that he chose, and stood in the plain. It was probably a level place there on the mountain when he gave the, where he gave this sermon. And the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea, Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Notice there are three different groups that we see here. He came down with them, that's the apostles, and there he joined a group of his disciples, people that were following him, and there was also a great multitude of people, just a crowd of people that came to hear. They came to hear and they came to be healed. Verse 18 says, and they were, <clears throat> they that were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed. So you got these three groups of people. You got the apostles that he had just named, the 12 is what we'll call them. And then you have this group of disciples that have chosen to follow Christ. And we know that just because they're labeled disciples doesn't mean that they're automatically in and everybody in this group is, uh, everybody in this group is what, what we would call saved or, or, or following Christ or whatever. Because in John 6, we see a multitude of people that were called his disciples turned back and didn't follow him anymore. They were just people that were following Jesus. They were following him. Probably, you know, some of them were following him because they were getting healed and miracles were happening and they, they were seeing the kingdom coming to bear. And then you got this crowd of people that really did came, that really did come, I should say, to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And so they were all coming to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, to follow after him. And in verse 19... It says, and the whole multitude, the whole bunch of them, sought to touch him, for they went virtue out of him and healed them all. So I want you to think about this. A lot of times, have you ever saw, seen the Jesus movie where he's kind of, uh, you know, he's kind of strolling across the mountainside saying, blessed are you, and there's crowds of people here. And understand that I think the scene was a whole lot more frantic than that. I mean, when it says they were pressing in, this whole multitude of people was, were, was trying to touch him. They were trying to get to him. So you can imagine how, how crazy everything was. It, it kind of reminds me of, of what it looks like on Black Friday when everybody's trying to get the right stuff in Walmart or Target or wherever it is that you shop. You know, everybody wants to get to their deal. You know, they got their list, their Christmas list, and they want to get to their deal. And the object of the game is to get there before everybody else does. Because if you get there and it's empty, it's just tough luck. And some of those folks, they can get, they can get a, little, a little dirty when they, when they you know, go to shopping that way. And so the thing was, what I, what I see here is these people, they wanted to be blessed. They wanted to have the blessing of God. They wanted to have the favor of God. And they wanted that to manifest itself in healing. They wanted, they wanted to be healed of whatever disease they had. They wanted to be uh, uh, delivered from whatever unclean spirit was plaguing them or, or whatever things were going on in their life. 
They were desiring a blessing from God. They were desiring God to move in their circumstance and, and to relieve them from whatever, whatever it was that was going on. And to get that, they were pressing in, trying to touch Jesus. Just the same way that people on Black Friday would say, you know, I got to get my thing. You know, my, my little four-year-old whatever has got to have the newest toy, the newest thing, and I'll be happy to run over anybody I need to run over to get. As long as I get mine, it's all good. And so I think we see that they were kind of in this mindset. Well, it's in this, this scene, this thing, that Jesus is going to start preaching this sermon. And he's going to explain to us and he's going to explain, explain to them exactly what the blessed of God life looks like. He's going to explain what it looks like to have right relationship with God, what it looks like to have favor with God. And it's absolutely not what you expect. Let me just read I don't know, verse 20 through 26. Let me just read the whole thing, and then we'll, uh, we'll go back and, and pick it apart. It says, all this is going on, verse 20 says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Notice who he's talking to. Notice who he points this at. It's his disciples that he's wanting to get this across, the people that are following him. He said, blessed be the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. They did the same thing to the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. And so all of these, are it's basically four blessings and four woes. And the woes are exactly opposite the blessing. Blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Blessed are the ones who weep. I mean, blessed are the ones who weep, woe to the ones who laugh. And so I'm going to take these in, in, in groups. I'm going to show you the, the blessing and the woe. Y'all with me? Everybody good? Y'all awake? It says, it says the first one is, the first one is, is simple. It says, blessed are the poor. Now, you need to understand what we're talking about here because these really don't make sense. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the ones who are in sorrow, blessed are the ones who are, are having a tough time in life, it kind of sounds like, doesn't it? Well, these are, not, these are not lists of rules where, you know, we have to, you have to work toward being poor if you want to be blessed. You know, that doesn't even make sense. Uh, being poor doesn't make anybody right with God. Being sad or sorrowful doesn't make anybody right with God. And so we need to make sure we understand what he's talking about here when we see these blessing, blessings and these woes. He's describing what a life right with God looks like not telling you, hey, if you want to be right with God, the first thing you need to do is make yourself really poor. By the world standards, everybody in this room is exceedingly rich. If you go look at other countries, and so if we want to just talk about money, if we want to talk about monetary standards, all of us are going to be in the woe category, really. But that's not what he's talking about here. He says, he says blessed are the poor. In verse 20, he says, blessed are the poor. Blessed, are, blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, what you need to understand is these are, he's using physical things to describe spiritual realities. He's telling us what it looks like. This word poor doesn't just mean, hey, you ain't got no money. 
you don't have anything and you don't have anything to pay your bills and you don't have a house and you don't have a nice car. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about someone who recognizes the need that they have. They are spiritually bankrupt. In Matthew's gospel, in this same account of this, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so what we're talking about is someone who knows that they're spiritually bankrupt and they don't have any goodness to offer God. They don't have any capital to pay with. They don't have anything uh, to give God to make them right with God. They're poor. They don't have anything in the account that they can pull on and say, God, here's some goodness that I can pay my account with. They don't have anything to their account. David uses this, this same term. It's used in the Old Testament several different times, and it can mean economically poor, so I don't want to say that it doesn't. But David uses this in three different psalms, four different psalms, to just describe how needy he is. He says, I am poor and I'm needy. David describes it. And David had all kind of money. David was a rich guy. He was king uh, of, all of all of Judea. And so he had lots and lots of economic money, money, but he would describe himself several times in the Psalms as being poor and needy. He's talking about your need for God, your need to be right with God. You have absolutely nothing that you can give to pay God. You have absolutely nothing that that can give you salvation or that can earn you salvation. He says, blessed are you when you realize that you are poor. When you don't have anything in the couple of the churches in Revelation that the letters are written to, he tells Smyrna, the church at Smyrna, he says, you guys are rich even though you're poor. Even though you're going through tribulation and trial and all the things that go, you are rich in my sight. That's what Jesus said to the church at Smyrna. You're rich even though you got all this going against you and economically you're poor and you don't have any money and, and you know, you're suffering all these things. You're actually rich. And he told the church at Laodicea, he said, you guys are poor. He said, even though, even though you've got lots of money and you say I'm rich and nothing can hurt me, nothing, he said, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. And so what they needed to do in Laodicea, they needed to recognize their poverty. They needed to recognize their need. And that's one of the things that gets in the way of people understanding who Christ is and what he wants to do in your life. And the salvation that he offers is that you cannot come to him unless you recognize that you have nothing to offer, that you have no goodness that's going to buy your way, that you have nothing that you can reach into the bank account or your back pocket or the storage room or anything and offer that up and say, here you go, this is going to pay my account. This is going to pay what I owe you. You and I have absolutely nothing. And that is necessary for salvation. It's necessary to be right with God, to understand that you can't be right with God without His provision, without the death that He died on the cross. It is necessary. So he says, look, you are blessed. You are in a blessed state. You have God's favor. You have, um, you have a right relationship with God, and with that comes peace and the joy and the happiness of knowing that you are right with God when you are poor in spirit, when you recognize that you don't have anything to pay. Now, on the flip side of that, in verse 24, it says, Woe to you, woe to you, uh, 24, but woe to you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Again, we're not talking about, you know, if your bank account reaches such a level, then all of a sudden you don't have favor with God or you're not in a blessed, because you've got 
plenty of rich people in the New Testament that came to Christ. You got Joseph of Arimathea was a rich guy. You have Lydia, the seller of purple, that came to know Christ through Paul's preaching. And so we're not just talking about, you know, the having stuff or having lots of toys, having lots of money. Now that is a huge temptation because people that are quote-unquote rich, when they trust in their riches, it's harder for them to come to know that they need Christ. And a lot of you guys are probably thinking as I'm talking, you know, you're saying, well, I'm not rich, so I really don't have anything to worry about. I got all kinds of struggles. You know, some of, the, some of the poorest people are the people who have lifted money up as an idol. So it doesn't mean that you got to have a mansion and you got to have a boats in the garage and cars and all these toys in order for these, for these verses to apply to you. They apply to you because you and I need to understand that we don't have anything. We don't have anything to offer God. But when we think, you know what? I'm not needy. I'm not in need of anything. You know, life is good. I've got, I'm a good person. I've got plenty of things I can offer God. I've got plenty of things that, you know, make me better than the guy down the road when it comes to being in a relationship with God. I'm not poor and blind and, and naked like he told uh, uh, the people in Laodicea. He says, I'm not that guy. I've I got lots of things going for me. I do a lot of good. I do a lot of good to help a lot of people. And because of those things, because of how good that I'm doing and how wonderful I'm living, I'm not really in need, not like the guy down the road. He says, woe to you when you're rich. He says, woe to you when you trust in your riches, when you trust in your own stuff, when you trust in your own things, when you live and say that, you know, I am, I am good. Everything about me is fine and I don't have to worry about anything. He says, you have received all the reward that you're ever going to get. He says, you have received your consolation. When you are trusting in your own righteousness, when you're trusting in your own account that you can put money down on your account and say, you know what, I, I, I'm good enough, I don't have to worry about it. I'm doing well, I'm doing a whole lot better than I used to. So when it comes to relationship with me and God, when it comes to being in the favor of God or under the blessing of God, when it comes to those things, I am, I am making the grade. I am doing what I need to do. And I'm not, of course, I'm not perfect. I'm not that guy, but I'm doing a whole lot better than almost everybody else. And because of that, God is going to look down at me and he's going to say, you're a blessed guy. You're a blessed lady. You are resting in my favor because of how wonderful you're doing and how much that you have offered me. He says, if that's the way you think, if that's the way you live, woe to you because the only, the only consolation, the only reward that you're going to receive is what you hit in this life. And that's a scary thing. If all that you ever get is what you have in this life, that's a scary thing. The second thing he says, <clears throat> he says, he says, blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the hungry. In verse 21, we're going, back to, we're going to go back and forth to the blessing and the woes. I'm going to show you the blessing and then the opposite woe. Blessed are you that, uh, that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. If you come to this realization that you don't have any capital, that you don't have anything to pay, that you are poor when it comes to making payments to God for what you owe, when you come to that realization, what happens? What happens in your heart? What happens is you come to the point where you are 
you are longing for righteousness. Matthew says it that way. He says, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You desire to be delivered from this state that you're in, this poor state where you have nothing to offer God. You understand that you are nothing more than a beggar in God's, uh, in God's economy. You don't have anything to give him. You don't have anything that you can offer him to pay. You have zero goodness in your flesh at all. That's what Paul said. There is, there is no goodness that resides in me that is in my flesh. And so when you come to this point, you, you begin to get hungry to be delivered from the state. You get hungry for the righteousness that doesn't come from me going out and helping the little old lady across the street, but the righteousness that comes from Christ, His righteousness and His glory and His standing and His status. You have a hunger to be in Christ, to be seen as Christ is seen, to be righteous. He said, you know what? If your life is characterized by a hunger for God's righteousness, a hunger to be right with Him, a hunger to, to get off of this block where you're, uh, where you're good or where you're poor and don't have anything and you understand that you have absolutely nothing to offer God. If your life is characterized by this hunger for Him, you're a blessed person. You're a blessed person because that is descriptive of what someone looks like when God has done a work in their heart. You see people that, that all around, maybe in your family, maybe at work, and, you know, they just don't care. They really don't care, could care less. You know, everything's fine. I'm doing good. I'm not the worst guy in the world, but I'm not the best, and it's fine. You know, as long as I'm just doing what I need to do and I'm getting along and I'm doing good things for people, it's fine. I don't need much more. I don't need to seek after God. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to be crazy like some of you folks are. I, I don't need to be following after this thing as hard as you guys are or seeking His will or His word or trying to learn about Him or trying to be closer to, into relationship with Him or trying to serve Him more. I don't have to be hungering after that all the time. He says, if that's you, if you're satisfied, He says, woe to you. He says, because those who have been changed, been born again by the Spirit of God, that will characterize their life. Their life will be seeking after him, hungering. I get the picture of like a newborn baby. They can do nothing. They can't walk. They can't crawl. They can't do anything at all for themselves. I mean, zero. They can't tell you what's wrong. They have absolutely no way to take care of themselves at all. All they can do is get hungry and start crying crying for somebody to feed me. That's the picture that you see here. The person who realizes their poverty, their, their poor state in God's economy, not able to pay. All they can do is just sit in the floor, if you want to picture it that way, like a newborn baby, and just cry for, for, for righteousness, cry for, to, to be made right with God. They can't do it themselves. They can't walk. They can't, you know, newborn can't grab anything, can't do anything whatsoever. All they can do is long for it. All they can do is cry and wail for it. That's kind of the picture that you see here. He says, the, the ones who are hungry, they will always... Listen, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, if you are in right relationship with God, you will always be unsatisfied with who you are in the flesh. You will always be striving to, to be right with God or to be, to be more for God, to be sanctified, to, to grow in holiness, to grow in righteousness. You will always be unsatisfied with 
your own sin. You'll always hate the sin that resides in you. You'll always be unsatisfied in this world because it's fallen. There'll never be a time until Jesus returns or you pass on to be with Him, there will never be a time when the world turns around and everything is wonderful and there's no more sin and there's no more trials and there's no more tribulations or suffering and everything in the world. It's just world peace and everybody's you know, loving each other. And There will never be that time, not until Christ returns, not until you go to be with Him. So you will always, in a sense, be hungry. You will always be, in a sense, hungering after righteousness. You will never be satisfied. Let me, let me t- put it that way. There's never going to be a time in your Christian life, in your growth toward God, where you're going to sit down and you're going to say, Whoo, I have made it finally. I am here, and boy, God is proud of me, and I have done just about everything humanly possible that a human being can do to please God. So from now on, I'm just going to sit down, and I'm going to take a break, I'm going to relax, I'm just going to hang out. There will never be that time. If you've been born again, you will always be unsatisfied with how you are doing, with your righteousness, with who you are as you walk around in this fallen flesh and in this fallen world. There will never be a time, if you've been born again, that you'll be satisfied. But if it is a time, if there is a time where you are satisfied, and you say, you know what, I'm full, I don't need any more, I don't hunger for anything more than what I've got. Everything's wonderful. I'm just going to rock out this life right here and just, you know, just enjoy the heck out of it. He says, he says, woe to you in verse 25. He says, woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. He says, woe unto you that are full. Understand that one thing that I missed in verse 21, it says, blessed are you that hunger when? Now, in this life. Because there's coming a day that you will be filled. There is coming a day when you will be filled. And you'll no longer hunger for righteousness and hunger to stop the sin that dwells in you. Hunger to do more. And that's going to be when there is no more sin. When there is no more sin and you and I are perfected in God's sight and there's a new heavens and a new earth and there's no more sin, no more wickedness, no more darkness, no more sickness, no more fall, no more effects of all of that on creation. When that day comes, you will be filled. But until that day comes, you'll always be hungry for it. You and I are not at home. We're not at home yet. We're not at home in this body We're not at home in this world the way that it is. There is going to come a day when you will be filled, but it's not going to be in the fallen world the way that it is. Not for all of your life, not if you've been born again. But if you do, he says, woe to you that are full. Woe to you that are satisfied. You know what? I'm good. It's all good. I don't need anything else. I'm not hungry for anything. He says, woe to you. Woe to you. He says, you will be hungry go ahead and just you know sit back and enjoy it you're full you're satisfied you don't need anything else you don't need to you don't need to press in toward christ you don't need to press into god's word or fellowship with god's people you're satisfied with the way that things are you're not a perfect person of course not but you know what i'm pretty good and life is pretty good and i don't need anything and it's all good so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna rock right along and just just have it the way i want it you know lean back put the recliner feet up and 
and just, just hang out because I'm full. He says, you may be full now in this world. If you're full in this world, satisfied with yourself in this world, satisfied with the world as the way it is, understand something. You will eternally be hungry. You will eternally be unsatisfied. When you face Christ, when you come to your eternal reward, you can imagine there will never in all of eternity be a time where you will be satisfied. There will never in all of eternity, when 10 billion years elapses in eternity, you'll still have forever to go. And throughout none of that time, you will be satisfied. He says, you'll be hungry. He says, if you're full now with this, with who you are, you'll be hungry. And he says, blessed, the third one in verse 21, blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. Well, so I should work at being sad because that makes me blessed. What happens when a person who's been born again realizes their poor estate, realizes they have nothing, realizes that, that this world and the flesh that we dwell in is always going to be sinful in this world. It's always going to be unacceptable. And it's only by the righteousness of God that we're going to be able to be in right relationship with God. What happens to that person? They mourn over their sin. They mourn and they weep over their sin. They mourn and they weep over the fallen nature of this world. They mourn and weep for the lost souls of people that are, are without God and without hope in this world. When they realize, when they come to realize the poor estate that they have, that they have no capital to give God, there's no hope for you to pull anything out of your works pocket to give to God and to say, you know what, here's something that's going to make me right with you. When you come to that understanding, man, it hurts. There's conviction. There's, there's repentance. You and I, he's describing the blessed life, the one who is right with God, the one who has the peace of knowing that he is right with God. That person in this world and in this body and in this life is going to be a repentant, mourning person. He's going to be mourning over their sin. They're going to be weeping over who they are. If you can walk around, and we've said this a million times, kicking stones down the road going, you know what, that sin isn't too bad. I, I'm just like everybody else. I don't have to worry about it. If sin doesn't affect you, if this fallen world is, you know, you just love it to pieces and the way that it is is just fine with you and there's really no need for mourning or sorrow or sadness over your sin, sadness over who you are, a desire to be more for God, a desire to follow His righteousness. He says, woe to you. I think it's verse, verse 26. Or 25 again. He says, Woe to you that are full, for you shall be hungry. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Understand, he says in verse 21, he says, Blessed are you who weep now, because there's coming a day when you'll no longer weep for sin. There's coming a day when you'll no longer be a repentant person, because there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more sin. We'll dwell with Christ forever in His righteousness and you and I will sin no more. Darkness will be gone. The fall will be over and restored. There'll be a new heavens, new earth. On that day, you will no longer mourn and weep over the, 
the state of the world, the state of the, the people in the world, the state of our own souls, the state of our own lives in being not what we should be for God. You'll no longer weep for that. He said there's coming a day when all that's going to be gone, you will laugh. He says, but you who laugh now, you who enjoy this life, you who enjoy uh, dwelling in these fleshly bodies that, uh, that cannot help but go and sin, that cannot help but not love God the way that He calls us to love Him, you are enjoying this. He says, there's going to come a day when you are going to mourn and weep, and your mourning and weeping will last for eternity. So notice what he's saying before we move on to the next one. He's describing the characteristics of someone who is right with God, someone who is blessed of God, someone who is in the favor of God, and it doesn't look like what you would think it would look like. Don't the TV guys tell you that, hey, if you're right with God, everything's going to come up roses, and you know some dude's going to come bring you a new car, and everything's fine, and all your bills are paid, and your problems are over and all that. Jesus said, if you are one of these who are in blessed relation with God, if you are right with God, guess what's going to happen? You're going to recognize that you're poor, that you're poor and that you have nothing to offer God. You're going to recognize that you're going to spend this life weeping over your sin. You're going to spend this life in sorrow over your sin and your lack of righteousness and the state of the world as it is. You're going to spend this life hungry for a righteousness that only comes from God. You're going to spend this life hungry and in need and desperate for God to move. And he said, if that's you, don't think it abnormal. You're blessed. You are blessed if that is you. He says, and if you're happy with this world and your sin and it's all good and you're rocking right along, you're laughing, happy about everything, uh, comfortable with the world, comfortable with everything that the way it is, not in need, not needing anything from God, but just satisfied and laying back, he says, woe to you. He says, because you might be satisfied now, but there's going to come a day when you're eternally be unsatisfied. Last thing that he says, <coughs> he says, blessed are you, verse 22 and 23, let me just read those together. Blessed are you when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Notice what it says. It says, for the Son of Man's sake. It's not they hate you just because you're a jerk. It says if they hate you because of the Son of Man's sake, they're going to hate you, they're going to separate from you, and they are going to call you evil. Notice we, we have this, sometimes we have this romanticized view of persecution where, you know, I'm going to be burned at the stake for for loving Jesus or whatever. If you look back in history, they were never burned at the stake or, or killed for loving Jesus. There was some made-up charge. They were hate mongers. They were, they were anti-human. They were, they were haters of mankind. They were, the early church was called cannibals because they chose to eat the Lord's Supper and that entailed, this is my body and this is my, this is my blood. Eat this in remembrance of me. And people called them cannibals. They called them atheists because they didn't believe in all these other gods in the, in the Roman and Greek world. And so most of the time, they were, they were murdered. They were martyred because of lies that were spread. You look around today, the, the Christian worldview, the worldview of following Christ is said to be evil. You turn on your news and it's hate. Your hate speech, hate-filled this, hate-filled that. It's evil, wicked. He says, 
You need to understand when the world hates you for the Son of Man's sake because you are standing for Christ. And I'm not just talking about standing up on a, a podium out in the, on the street corner waving a Bible, hollering at crowds as they walk by. I'm talking about you living for Christ, just living your life for Christ and following His will and His ways. You need to understand, he said, you are blessed. Don't think it abnormal when the world hates you and they're going to separate from you and they're going to they're call your name evil. They're going to cast out your name as evil before them. He said, this is what is supposed to happen. In verse 23, he says, rejoice in that day, in the day that they call you evil and cast you out, the day that they revile you and separate from you. He says, rejoice in that day. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Understand, this is the way that it always has been. People who bear God's message. When God speaks to mankind, if you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, they'll say, the word of the Lord came to Amos, saying. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying. And when that word goes forth, immediately what happens is they hate them. If you look at the Old Testament prophets all through the Old Testament, they hated them, hated them. They killed them. They martyred them. They murdered them. It's always been that way. So if you're here in this world and you're in this time and you're living for Christ and you're following after Him and everybody hates you, you know, nobody really wants to be hated. Nobody wants to be despised of all. Everybody wants friends. Everybody wants that. I get it. We're made that way. But we need to understand that to be right with God means that everything that is wrong in God's eyes is going to come against you. To be right with God and to be following His will, His ways, His law, uh, trusting in Christ, following after Christ, being a disciple of Christ, everything that is against Christ is going to come against you. And that can be, it can be lonely. I mean, it's an assault from every side. I mean, think about it. It's, it's you and the body of believers against the whole world. Have you ever wondered why everybody is on the side of these false religions that are a whole lot more violent than Christianity? I mean, it doesn't make sense that, that people, would, people would choose to, to support, uh, especially like, uh, you know, I'm just going to say it, like feminists and homosexual groups and all that, they're supporting Islam who, if Islam takes over this country, they'll, they'll be the first ones killed. You ever want, it doesn't make much sense to support that. But they will all line up in lockstep because they're all against Christ. They'll all line up together and they'll all stand arm in arm, even though really they should be enemies with each other. They'll stand arm in arm because they are, they are worldly and in darkness and against Christ. And that's what the world will come against you. The world will come against you if you are in Christ. The world will come against you and they will hate you. And he says when that happens rejoice. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. Rejoice when the whole world hates you. Rejoice when they separate themselves from you. Rejoice when they don't want anything to do with you and they call you evil for saying what you say. They call you evil for doing what you do. He says you rejoice in that day. Not only rejoice, but you jump for joy, leap for joy, because every one of my messengers has been treated as such. Your fa their fathers did the same to all my prophets. And then 
Finally, verse 26, he says, if this is not happening to you, in verse 26, woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. You see it? There have always, always those people who, these were not atheists, these were not absolute God-hater whatever, they were people that claimed to be prophets of God. They were people that claimed to speak for God. And the world had no problem with them ever. They were just fine being in the world. The world loved them. The world spoke good of them. The, they got along with the world just fine. There was never any problem. He says, when the, all men speak good of you, when the world comes and wants to hold your hand and sing kumbaya whistling through the, you know, the daisy field or whatever, you need to make sure, you need to be on your guard. That should be a red flag to you. Something is wrong because if you are in right relationship with God, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God and you are walking after His ways, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate what you stand for. They're going to say it's wrong. They're going to say it's evil. They're not going to want to keep company with you. And if they do, if the world does love you, he says, woe to you. Woe to you when all men speak good of you. Woe to you if you're not hated for Christ. Now, I don't mean to go out. It doesn't mean to go out and just be a jerk so somebody will hate you. It means that when you stand for Christ, when you stand for Him, and I'm not talking about beating somebody over the head with the Bible. I'm just talking about, I'm talking about when you are living for Christ. You're, you're uh, trying to be holy before Him. You are walking in His ways, walking in His statutes. You should know that you, will, you need to rejoice when they hate you. You need to rejoice when the world comes against you. So we all need to understand that what He's given us here, as we close, we're about out of time. What he's given us here is the description. It's not rules. You better make sure you're weeping enough or you're not going to be right with God or make sure that you're laughing, uh, make sure that you're uh, uh, just the right amount of poor so you'll be right with God. He's describing what it looks like. The people are coming to him. They're thronging to him and they're desirous of the blessing of God. They want to be healed and delivered and all those things and they're pressing in to try to touch him. They're pressing in because this healing is coming out from him and he stops and explains to them what a life that is blessed by God looks like. What a life that is at peace because of the blessing of God looks like. And it doesn't look like what they think. It doesn't look like what we think. It's a life that's filled with an understanding that we're poor and that we don't have anything. And it's a life that's filled with the understanding that we're, we're going to weep over our sin in this life. We're going to weep over the world the way that it is. We're going to be unsatisfied for the entirety of our life with our own goodness, with the world, with the fallen state of everything. And the only satisfaction that we can have is in Christ. And we should, we should, be, uh, we should understand that that's always the way that it's going to be. If you've been born again, you will never be at home in this world. And we should jump for joy and rejoice when we're hated for Christ's sake because that puts us in a long line of messengers of God all through time and history. That's the way they were treated. So really, the question today really is, what describes your life? Which one of these describes your life? Is it one that is poor and unsatisfied, weeping over sin, mourning, repentant? Or is it one that is satisfied and full, 
and happy with the way things are, both in your heart and the world? Is it one that is just hand in hand with the world, happy to be, you know, they, they love you, they, they have no problem hanging out with you, or is it one that is bringing hatred for you? I don't want to hang out with that person anymore. I don't want to go around that person anymore. They're always trying to, they're always making me look bad just by trying to follow Christ. You know, the holier than thou. Well, they just think they're holier than thou. The question really is not, it's not, hey, make sure you do these things in order to be right with God. The question is, examine yourself and look to see if this is who you are. Because the one who is satisfied in this life with this world, they're going to be eternally unsatisfied. The one who's laughing now over all this stuff and the way things are and the righteousness that we have, they're going to weep for eternity. The one who is rich now thinking, I've got it going on and everything's good, we don't have to worry about anything, they are going to be poor forever. Understand that the righteousness he's talking about here is it only comes from trusting in Christ. It only comes from trusting that His righteousness, that He paid for my sin on the cross, and that He gave me His perfect life on my account. That is the only righteousness that you and I can have. You have nothing to offer. You have nothing to pay with. You have no money, no capital, no trade-in value. You have absolutely nothing that you can barter with God and say, well, I'll give you this, or I'll do that, or I'll give you this if you'll just make me right with you. You have nothing. You're like a little baby. You can't even speak. And you have to have the grace of God. And when that grace of God comes upon you, in that moment, you are right with Him. You are blessed of Him. You are in right relationship with Him. And these things characterize that relationship. Weeping over sin. Poor. Understanding your need. Mourning. Hatred of the world. Which one are you? Jesus <clears throat> said, John said in 1 John, you can't love the world and Christ. The one who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in it. Ask yourself that question today. If you don't know Christ, you need to come to Him because that's the only righteousness that is available, is even offered to you. If you're working for it yourself, you'll never make it. Trust in Him today. Let's pray. Father, we love you.